0: Welcome to the Elevate Your Event podcast, where we talk about how to plan and execute an unforgettable event that will dazzle your guests and generate more income for your organization. From fundraising and securing trendy auction items to event production and logistics, get the best tips and advice from seasoned fundraising and event professionals who have been in your shoes.
1: Welcome back to the Elevate Your Event podcast, where we talk about the various ways that you can make your next fundraising event even better than it probably already is. You know, and so we have a special set of topics today. This is another one of those grab bag lists of things that are questions that have been filtered into us from you guys. Thank you, by the way, or things that our staff has come to discuss. And I think we've mentioned this before, but but we do talk about how events run over the weekends. We do that as a team. Typically on Tuesday mornings because people need to recover on Mondays.
0: It's not event gossip, would it's you not, say? Would not event you gossip. say it's not event gossip?
1: No. This is continuous improvement. That's what yeah. we call it.
2: Yeah. It's actually some really good feedback that we get. <laughs> just sharing feedback with each other, we get yeah. some good feedback.
1: Well, let's introduce ourselves first. Jeff Porter, CEO, founder of Hambid, and we've got
2: I'm Kristen Wheeler, and I'm Inga Vice.
1: Yeah. We've got an all-star cast for you today. that are going to answer all of these questions that have come in. And absent Diana Duplanchet, who is probably not outdoors today, I tell you, I feel like I live, no offense to people that live in Portland, Oregon, but you probably are used to it raining every day. We live in Denver and it rains every day now. Yeah. And so Diana's a big outdoors girl. So I don't know what she's doing today, but she's not with us. And she's normally the one with the list. I don't even, not only did I not have a list to start, I didn't have the pink pen that goes with the list, but I do have my blue pen and I have the stuff that we were going to discuss. And I decided not to get nerdy and do it on my phone like I did last time. So what I've got here is I've got my impromptu paper and a blue pen instead. And I decided not to be nerdy this time and do it on my phone. I'm going to do it on pen and paper. Here we go. Isn't that amazing? And, and And actually Kristen did bring up a very poignant comment, which was, I'm surprised you found paper in the handbid office, because normally the only paper we have lying around are auctioneers' bid cards. (laughs) That's right. Paper
0: in the (laughs) office.
1: (laughs) So anyway, okay. So the first one on here was a collection of things that our staff has observed over the last several weeks. We're calling this the do's and don'ts of the next auction. And so the first one on the list that came in from an observation was assigning seats. And this was a seated event. So I guess if you were doing just kind of a, a classic, maybe just throw some cabaret tables out and let people kind of float anywhere, it'd be one thing. But this was a seated event, but they did not assign seats. And so what ended up happening – so let look at my notes here. But what ended up happening was they ran out of space. And so do you guys know why they ran out of space?
0: Well, I know, but – it's because we talked about it before we came in here. <laughs> okay,
1: we'll spill the beans.
0: <laughs> spill the beans, I would Christine. love to know the psychology behind this, but it's because if I walk up to a table where two strangers are already sitting, I'm not going to sit directly next to them. I'm going to leave a seat or two in between us. Yes. So that leaves like two free seats in between people. And then if... Typically, you're attending as, as a pair, as a couple. That poses a problem because usually you want to sit together. And that's when right. you see single seats, people don't want to
2: sit in single seats. They don't. And it, it makes it really awkward. Nobody wants to ask another person to move over. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> so this will probably get edited out, but this is also called the urinal theology. Have you have you heard about this? The I've theory never behind
0: used that? a urinal, so yes,
1: I, That's why I was going to ask if you had heard about this. But, but it is true, and they, they, they did observe this where men will you walk into a bathroom if there are five urinals mm-hmm. and someone's using one no one will go to the one next to it ever they will always go one yep. one space away okay so if there are three people using a five station urinal there are always the two you know slot mm-hmm. two and slot four are always mm-hmm. open And it's fast. They they did this study for a long time, and they would add a sixth urinal, and they would add a seventh urinal just to see kind of what it was like. People do not – it's really strange and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. If if there's one person in there, I would look at you funny if you came and stood next to me, right? And that's the same thing with these tables is that when we walked in, we finally walked over and started looking around at all of these people that are sitting down. You know, watch this the next time, right? You see it at conferences. Right. Where, you know, everybody walks into the ballroom to sit at a conference and and these chairs. Or you see it at church where people leave spaces between Mm -hmm. each other. And then, you know, you're trying to pack more people in. You can't. And so what ended up happening, though, is they were getting charged by the place setting. This this charity was. Okay. And so when you leave those place settings open.
0: And add more.
1: And then have to add add more more tables. You're just going to pay more. It's and so, yeah, assigning seats, I know it, it sounds like, does it create more work? It absolutely does, right? To go in there and, and put people at tables requires a little bit more effort. But at the end of the day, what you get out of it is you get way more efficiency in terms of your costs.
0: Assigning seats was always one of my favorite parts of doing galas. Like, call me weird and type A, but that was always like, ooh, we finally have our guest list. It's a couple of days before the event. It's time to do seat assignments, and I I really enjoy that. Not only can you keep track of the people in your room and and know who's donating mm-hmm. and what's going on in the room, and like we've talked about before educating your auctioneer on where certain people will be sitting, but it also, I think, helps to create a vibe in the room and helping to create that atmosphere of what you want at your event. So why wouldn't you want to assign seats to create that people love order, people love knowing exactly where they're supposed to be.
2: And it's just easier. Yeah. I actually think, I agree
1: with you. I think it creates a better guest experience because then I don't have the stress of having to find a spot to sit. Right. Right. I agree with you. And I think it is, but I, I, I see why people think that this is a better idea. It really isn't right and it and it backfired in this particular case because they were the how right. they were charged right. by this particular hotel but but outside of that i think it also is stressful right now mm-hmm. you, you can go to the like, and this happens at church with us all the time like you send your kids in and then you're like okay did you not save us seats honestly <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> So, yep. you know, you, it could be the same thing, right? Where you're walking around and you're like, "Oh my god, I wish I just knew." Or, you know, your friends are you make sure your friends save your seats mm-hmm. if you do assigned seats. And and you know, it's the Southwest thing too. Right? Now, Southwest will tell you That's it's more efficient. No, no.
2: It's a big no-no. It's a big no-no. You're not supposed to be saving your seats. Seats for your friends <laughs> on Southwest. Ooh, big no-no. I
1: I have I have seen <laughs> We
2: got some people I, really
1: mad at us. Yes. I, I I've seen fights. <laughs> Get close to happening, but but not fully happening, and they don't condone it, but they yeah, don't they don't suppo- prohibit not supposed it, to. right? I think, but but at the end of the day, like I think they've also fixed some of the issues with the mm-hmm. assigned seats because if my wife and I are ultimately gonna sit next to each other, right. just let us board together, honestly, like that way I don't have to put a bag exactly. in the middle seat yeah. next to me or whatever, right? And so I think it's the same thing with galas, like mm-hmm. just take the stress away of uh, this is my yes. seat okay the only person that would hate that would be my special needs daughter and we don't take her to galas so
0: right. Right. this is perfect well you could follow the southwest model and be like if you donated five thousand dollars or more you're a part of a list <laughs> should and we put them to sit near in, the front in, of the
1: gala in, you get in early check-in morning. groups we should do a whole step we could you're in check-in group A. You're in, You're in check-in oh, group B. Yeah.
2: Thank you for your generous donation. <laughs> and there are a lot of organizations that actually do separate lines for…
1: For VIPs, for yes. VIPs
2: and but, pre-check guests and all
1: Well, that. and I think in this case that would have been better because mm-hmm. in that case your VIPs could have gotten in early, right? right? And yeah. what tends to happen is your VIPs go through a different process. And maybe they're in a special reception area and they come in last and this would have really been a bad right situation for them them. right yeah so anyway it's just i just i would just say don't don't go the southwest model on this one let's go let's go with the assigned seats
2: elevate your experience
1: yes i love it okay so a question came in well let's, let's 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 stay on this whole thing so paddle numbers and why they're important so when do paddle numbers matter and when do they not matter and this was at the same event and paddle numbers were assigned at the door so when does a paddle number matter it matters in two big instances in the room which are
2: live auction. live yeah.
1: auction for sure and a paddle raise, and the paddle raise okay other than that if people are using their device doesn't it matter. doesn't really matter but in this case our staff is going through, and they're, they're entering in live auction winners, and these paddle numbers do not exist in the system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But they're being held up in the air. Yeah. Okay.
0: So you're relying on honesty at that point.
1: You're relying the on- honor
0: system.
2: Hightailing actually,
1: it over and finding that person and mm-hmm. finding out who are you because someone gave you a paddle number that they did not put into the system.
2: And then transferring all kinds of transactions, invoices after event is over, which creates a lot of headache for auction managers. Yes.
1: So paddle numbers, like yeah. I said, in a lot of cases, if you're not doing a live auction, you're not doing a paddle raise, you're not asking people to hold a card up in the air, please make sure that you, you're you assigning paddle numbers to people or you at least know who they are. The backup to that is every live auction winner, you need to go visit. Mm-hmm. And just like, let me confirm your information. I have you down. Your Kristen Wheeler is that correct. Right. Mm-hmm. Otherwise... Who knows, maybe you accidentally picked up Inga's paddle mm-hmm. number and held it up in the air, not knowing because you sat next to each other. And because your seats weren't assigned, you didn't know each other either.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, And that being said, pre-assigning seats, I love it. I think it definitely elevates guest experience. But pre-assigning paddle numbers to your guests – is a bad idea in so many ways. But we also see auction and event managers not only pre-assigning paddle numbers, but actually placing them on the guest seat and then as guests they're shuffling around sitting down they're grabbing each other's paddles and they I mean they're having fun it's not their job to pay attention right. but they're actually raising a wrong paddle because or it they was,
1: move and or they move
2: or they do some musical chairs and switch seats because I don't want to sit to your husband but you want to sit next to me and the next thing you know we are raising wrong paddle number because they were physically placed on your yes. seat
1: 100% true paddle numbers do matter and yeah. just make sure that you are out there like especially with live auction winners you're just checking to see who they were okay any other comments on paddle numbers oh make them big these were nice because these were pre-printed but there was a comment made at one of our events once where the paddle numbers were written on the back of a program and like it was, you know, half in, of an eight- Blue
2: ballpoint ink. Yes. <laughs> yes. Pink. Pink yes. on white. <laughs> and it's very yeah. it's very fun to customize your programs and print your paddle numbers on the back of the program. But please don't print white paddle numbers on a green background or silver paddle number. On a was green. You can't navy, see it. It was
1: navy on dark green. You
2: can't see it. <laughs> Just make it black and white. Your paddle numbers yes. do not
0: need to be on theme. If you want to put your logo logo in the corner, fine. But this is – make them functional, not free. Your auctioneer will thank you.
1: Well, let's keep deep diving on this because this is a good topic. So we were going to move on, but we're going to stay on paddle numbers for a second. Because to your point also, when you say functional, okay, like they also – keep it like these ones that were like navy blue font on like a dark green, like design was behind them. Mm -hmm. They were massive. Yeah. Like, they were bigger than, like, an eight and a half by 11 right. sheet of paper. What in the heck is someone going to do with that thing? You know what they're going to do? They're going to fold it in half and shove it under their plate, probably. Mm-hmm. So they were a little overwhelming. And I get it. You're like, well, I'm making these huge paddle numbers. it's are going to be great. They, you still couldn't read them. But, but outside of that, like, when you say functional, make sure your bidders can handle them.
2: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: You know? And uh, now – there was a, a an auctioneer in town in Denver years ago, and great, great, great auctioneer. Older guy, and so his eyesight was kind of failing him a little bit, and he was telling me this hilarious story where he's like, he yeah. noticed, right? Like, even the standard paddle number sizes, people fumble with them, right? They, the, the females bring up clutch purse, and they're trying to shove it in there, and yes. they don't have any pockets, yes. right? And guys want to fold it up and put it in their pocket. They don't carry it around. And so he decided to create these paddle numbers that would slide directly in your pocket, especially like in your, you know, sports coat jacket pocket. Yeah, they were awesome. Okay, but the numbers weren't that big, and so he couldn't see them. <laughs> and so we were we were running around helping him. But you know, it, it was one of those things where you know it's going to be a trade off, right? They got to be big enough to see, but make them definitely make them functional, right.
0: if you can. And you know, all these people that we're talking about in the room going to the bidders we call those spotters Spotters. and those can be volunteers that was actually my very first job at a gala was as a volunteer was i was a spotter and they are there to do just that to help the auctioneer see who's raising their paddle to help them call out the number to go with a form and say, thank you so much right. for your winning bid. Let me just jot your information down. Right. So that's a yep. really important volunteer position to have.
1: It is. Yes. And I will tell you, like, there's some training involved in that. Mm-hmm. So for, for appeals, maybe not as much. You just got to be able to read numbers and write fast, right? Because as the auctioneer is calling these numbers out, you got to get them down as, a, as like a yeah. bid recorder or something like that. But in a live auction, those spot that spotter is a very important role. And in the event I was at recently, they did not have one. They didn't have any. And so here's the auctioneer. I, I liked the layout. The stage was in the middle, so he has he's basically surrounded by guests. The PA system was terrible. That didn't help. But and he wasn't doing the best job of turning his head around and looking right. that's why you need bid spotters mm-hmm. and so you needed four bid spotters you needed four quadrants and four people out there and their job i think professional auctioneers call them ringmen. Ringmen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. ring men yeah ring women i, I don't want to offend anybody Just ringmen. Ring okay ring men <laughs>
2: okay we had a huge debate about this last year with fellow auctioneers <laughs> and it's still ring men
1: okay <laughs> So and they
2: have like special sounds and everything. They, that they do make. and yep. special signals. How to call numbers out of your hands? Yes. Yeah. yes. Yes. Yes.
1: So, but even at its simplest form, like even if you gave them a glow stick, I've seen the mm-hmm. batons, I've seen whistles. Mm-hmm. Like we did one event, yeah. and there's two thousand people in the room. Like you need a whistle. Like you got to get the auctioneer's attention right. that you have a new bid. So. In either case, though, that person is going, that ringman, is going to walk up to the current high bidder, and they're going to stand there, okay? Mm-hmm. And if they're the high bid, they're either going to keep a baton up or something and indicating the auctioneer, yeah. this is where the last yeah. bid was at, because yeah. it gets crazy. And I, look, sure, auctioneers should remember where they're at, but they don't always. And so that's that person's job. And then their their second job, when there's an outbid, is to convince the person to bid again, right. okay? And so when you don't have that going on, these auctions Uh get pretty stale. And so at the event I was at, I was like, well, let's see here. I'm in the corner of this venue and he cannot, he can see me, but he's not turning his head and looking around. I said, I'm just going to raise my hand and I'm going to bid. And let's just see how long it takes for him to notice me. Mm -hmm. And I was, my hand was up for at least a minute.
2: And that's leaving money on a table right there.
1: It's leaving money on the table and it was it was frustrating and i felt mm-hmm. bad for the charity because i'm like yep. you know you guys have got to be making more money than yes us. so yes so we've kind of moved past paddle numbers to what you need in your live auction <laughs> <Yes>. the <laughs> other thing i will say since we're on to live auctioneers the way this auctioneer ran heads or tails i hated it i'll be honest with you i love the game i think it's a great warm-up right but in this case, he actually got people to get up and move to one side of the room or the other based on whether you wanted heads or tails. It was way too much effort. Lost mm-hmm.
0: me. Yeah. Lost, I know. If, <laughs> if I was work. a guest there, I would have been like, I'm out. No, well, you're like not doing it. Yes. Yeah.
1: I mean, like you can bring people up to stage when then maybe there's like eight people right. left. Yeah. And there's an auctioneer in town who does some really fun stuff when you get down to eight people, like first person to bring me a five dollar bill you know, yes. is in like, and then they're, and as you're, they're running around grabbing it, he takes the eight seats and drops it to four. Right. <laughs> and so you get your $5 bill and you, and if you get there in time, there's a seat, then you yeah. get it. That kind of stuff's fun. Right. Yeah. None of that. So you split the room heads or tails, and then you kept playing with the beads and whatnot. And then at the very end, he didn't force the two finalists to pick one or the other. He let them both pick. And it just so happened that the opposite Mm-hmm. was picked and so he said nope oh, no winner organization keeps yeah. the money i'm like oh i'm glad the organization kept the money but i'm not sure these two people
0: are well, <laughs> right <laughs> that's yeah. the whole point
2: of a game is like it yeah. should be one person at the end
1: yes anyway i didn't love how that one went i, I yeah i like the putting your hands on your head or your hands on your tail
2: trying to mm,
0: make yes. up for all those extra place settings i guess <laughs> i know <laughs> <laughs> the charity must have been right. like no winner we, we lost no money winner. on all the extra tables That's right we didn't
1: assign seats
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's...
1: anyway that was that was definitely interesting this didn't happen here but this is something that came up at one of our staff meetings and I do want to talk about it. it is related to live auctions and consignment items and I think it's just something maybe we do in a future podcast I want to make people aware that there are Good consignment companies to work with, and there, there probably are some you should avoid. And I'm not going to mention names on that. But one of the things that I that I don't love in this industry is these consignment companies that come in, and they are they are there and they're present to help the you know kind of facilitate the sale of their items at your auction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. However, when I see them at the event, I start to wonder to myself, what is your agenda? You know i get it if you want to call up one of these companies and lots of reputable ones and you want to take on consignment a uh, you know villa for six in tuscany for a week great right. okay i but when these people show up i see a lot more doubles being sold so what does a double mean or triples that means that with the consignment company's permission and usually endorsement they are selling multiples of the mm-hmm. same item into the crowd yeah and i think that can get massively overdone and where I think people start to realize, I just need to stop bidding because they're gonna sell us five mm-hmm. times anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, it does get a little tiring, right, to watch mm-hmm. it. But they might, you might have someone at five thousand, then they're going fifty-five 5, hundred, and they get to fifty-five hundred. The person who was at five won't go to six, so they'll convince both of them to buy it at fifty-five hundred. Okay, right. and everybody's like, "Oh, it's awesome! It's eleven thousand dollars to the charity. How amazing! Right. It really is not eleven thousand dollars the charity because that." No package probably costs $4,000, so it's $8,000 to the consignment company. That consignment company is absolutely thrilled. And, you know, the charity should be somewhat happy because they're going to pull $3,000 from it, but when it gets overdone, that's where it, I don't like it. But the other thing that I've noticed with some of them, which you have to be absolutely careful of, is watching that consigner go around the crowd and find all the underbidders and try to cut a side deal with them. And one thing I will tell you is never, ever, 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 ever give your consignment company the list of underbidders on an item because there's no reason they need that. Right. Okay. And because the only reason I would think that they need that is so they can call them all and sell them that package. So they, mm-hmm. if the package cost is four grand, they will sell from 4000 up. That's right. Okay. And I just think that's lousy. Honestly, I, I don't love it, yeah. um, but just one thing, you you can ask for sure. But if any anybody ever asks you for the names and email addresses and phone numbers of underbidders, say no. It's your data. It's not theirs. Any thoughts on that? I couldn't
2: agree more. Yeah, when you yeah. sell 11 of those trips at the event... And then they have plenty more to sell. Yes. The consignment company is doing really well. they they making money. And there's a pretty high minimums that organization has to pay as a consignment cost on those trips mm-hmm. or items. So, yeah, it's, it sounds And there's, sounds a, and there's a place for them, right? right? I mean,
1: we're not here saying don't put consignment yeah. items in. There's a, yeah. definitely a place for them just... Be a little bit careful right. on who you work with. Let's yeah. we'll do a future podcast on that. I think we should. Yeah. We've
0: got somebody coming really soon. All so, right, yes? I love it. Yes, discussion on that. Yeah. Yes,
1: and when we bring on a consignment consignor, it will be a reputable one. Trust us on that one. Okay. One last thing before we get into the last topic. And so, can I sell tickets through a different system and still use hand The answer is yes. Okay. You can do that. I know this is a handbiz specific question, but it really isn't. Okay. There's lots of mobile bidding platforms out there that will allow you to import your guests into a guest list. What you have to be careful with when you're selling through a different ticketing system is there's a couple of drawbacks. Well, one is now that user's got to enter their credit card in again. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two, it's nearly impossible for that user to manage their own guest list. And handbid does allow your ticket purchasers right. or sponsors to edit and manage their own right. guest list names and emails and whatnot mm-hmm. and i think that's also a problem and three it just creates extra s- steps for you so you're going to have to figure out how to get this data out of a ticketing system and into yes. handbid right so i'm sure you guys in the service yeah. team get this question a lot and
2: a lot and yeah. it's once we explained why most of the event managers understand because it makes sense when you sell tickets through Handbit it automatically populates guest lists in in Handbit for you otherwise you have to upload your guest list ex- from external platform wherever you sell tickets and like you said the guests then have to you know enter credit card again so it just creates so much work and it and we have great features in Handbit when you just buy a ticket in but buy a sponsorship in handbit and you still have an option, to, an option to pay later for your sponsorship if event planner manager allows you to do so and all your information will be populated yep. in there. That so it leaves
0: room when you use multiple platforms for anything that yeah. leaves room for human error and right. drops to happen and and something to happen right. in the process of migrating your data to whatever you're using on the night of the event. So I mean, if, when you're looking into solutions, I would look into something that serves right. all of your event needs instead of having a piecemeal it all
1: I agree. together. Right. And here's the other thing, right? So when do you cut those sales off? Right. I mean, at right. some point, if you're manually doing this and mm-hmm. say it's three o'clock on yeah. Saturday and now your gala's saturday night and check-ins at six like are you really still selling tickets in this like th- i mean at some right. point you're going to want to sell tickets at the door mm-hmm. and so it de- it definitely becomes a little yeah. bit of a mess Oh well,
0: yeah i've had every single event that i have done at a hotel there have been random people walk up and say oh you're supporting a charity well can we can we come can we join can we buy a couple of tickets i have always sold tickets at the door
1: okay the last one on here and this was actually another one that comes up quite a bit and this i think the sales team deals with this one is okay so there's software out there that's free so why would i use a package like Handbid or, or one cause or a smart or any of the other ones out there that costs considerably more money okay and so free software and of course our initial response to this is that it's there's there nothing is, is free. There
2: is no such thing. <laughs> okay. No
1: such thing. The only thing that's free is the advice on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> <There> you
2: <go. laughs> and you are welcome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and even then, we have an ad. <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
1: yes, you do not have to buy handbid software to listen to this podcast. Free. I have a – so there's there's like a – uh, ethical, I say more philosophical issue I have with the concept of free software because most of those software packages out there that are quote unquote free are actually making money through a mechanism they call tipping. And this may sound really attractive to you. Hey, I don't have to pay for the software because all of my guests, donors, bidders, whatever you want to call them, they're going to pay for it. And so the way that normally works, and we're not talking about covering credit card fees because you can have and most states will allow this, not every state, by the way, but most states will allow you to have a surcharge to cover credit cards. Okay. It does it gets a little sticky in certain states, but you know, and it, it because you are actually structuring it as a donation. So when like in handbid software or any of the other ones, it will prompt you saying, Hey, would you as the donor who just donated a hundred dollars, would you like to spend 103 or $104 and cover your credit card fees, your transaction fees, so that 100% of your $100 goes directly to the organization. And so you can say yes or no to that. But in that instance, that money is actually going to you, the charity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not going to the mobile bidding company. Okay, Tipping is different. GoFundMe does this amongst others. And so, what they do is they will apply some form of a quote unquote percentage surcharge right. on the bill, and then the user has to opt out of that. And it's not intuitive sometimes on how you get out of it. And some of these platforms out there are charging, they're starting at 15%. And when you say, I want to change that, your options are like 12%, 7% other. And when you get to other, I got to manually type in zero and then confirm that I really only want to give zero. I mean, all of these extra steps, honestly, you know, to me, it's just a bad user experience, a bad, bidder experience. And you have to ask yourself how much and a, so where's the money going? It's not going to you. You probably as a charity have no idea how much money right. these companies are collecting from your guests that you brought them. Okay. So that's the first thing is is you have no idea what they're actually collecting. And then at the same time, you have to wonder, you know, how much are they like in terms of like right. how much are they frustrating your bidders? Like yeah. you have someone that's going online and says, I want to donate a thousand dollars to this charity and the first thing they see is a hundred and fifty dollar surcharge on top of that.
0: That's not going to your organization. It's not, going that's not, to not you. tax deductible for them.
1: No. Yes, And so you want to charge a surcharge to cover your costs? Fine. Okay. What I have to wonder when I look through that is how much money are they making on average? Okay. Well, one of the proxies you could figure out is some of them, if you turn off tipping, will charge you and use that as the proxy. Okay. So, you know, say, let's just keep easy math because I just don't do well with like numbers in my head, especially (laughs) in the afternoon. Let's just say 5%. Okay. So if... They say, hey, you know what? We're going to charge top line, which means we're going to charge on everything that goes through here 5% yeah. to you if you don't allow us to tip. That means that they're expecting to at least make that f- from your donors. Okay. In most cases, they're probably making more than that. All right. So you raise $100,000 a year event. That company is getting $5,000. Not credit card fees, $5,000. Okay. Like, I think that's lousy. And that's not free. Right. Okay. And so, and I don't think everybody always realizes that. We had a client, she's been a client for a long time. I mean, when I say a long time, like 10 years. And she's like, I'm getting a lot of pressure from my board. I love you guys, but we, we're looking at this other software package because it's free. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's not free. So she had no idea they were asking donors for money. She, right. did, like, she didn't kind of figure that out. Like, let's go to one of their sites right. and let's show you what they're doing. And let's show you how difficult it is for your guest donor, supporter, to bidder to get out of it. You know. And so I just have to say, look, I get it. You're trying to keep your costs down. If you want to find ways to supplement the cost of using premium auction software, then either charge your own surcharge and you get to keep all the money. And a lot of platforms support that, like we Hambit supports that, or find a tech sponsor exactly you know, and give them the promotion that says yeah. "This auction brought to you by whatever right, okay And again, you get to keep all the money.
0: No such thing as a free lunch.
1: no. I know. And it's someone,
0: (laughs) somewhere, something.
1: I know. And this is kind of like quasi the Southwest episode because we've been talking about them before. So we're going to talk about them again because everybody's like, bags fly free. Bags do not fly free. Okay. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Okay. Go to the airport and tell them you want your bag to go to Portland.
2: (laughs) Well, how is that going to work?
1: Well, they're going to say you have to buy a ticket and your bag has to go with you. you. No, bags are free. (laughs)
2: It's just like
0: the breadsticks at the Olive Garden. That's right. You can't just show right. up and order water and say, I'd like all the breadsticks I can eat.
2: That's right. <laughs>
1: exactly and right. They are
2: good.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so bags do not fly free. Ba- bags are included with the price of your ticket. Okay? Yes. And so the free software is not free. And, it, and I will tell you, in a lot of cases, those platforms are not geared well to wow. you running an in-person event. They're not going to help you with ticketing they're, a lot of them don't do check-in registration that kind of stuff you email tech support they're they're not seasoned experienced you know auction event people they're not right and so those are the other trade-offs you have and so we want we're going to do something we're going to dive into this one deeper because the way this industry prices itself it it requires a little bit of knowledge and research about how it works okay and so it's important for us to spend more time than just a few minutes talking about this but we did want to quickly address free software is not free and we'll come back and do another episode on why some packages are two thousand three thousand dollars whatever and some are two hundred bucks and there is a reason why and there's a big difference between that and it's important that you understand that and if those things are important to you um, then you'll understand why some software costs more. And if they're not important to you, then you'll understand why, you know, maybe maybe the $200
2: software package will work for you. And okay. there's a lack of transparency. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: There's a lot of that, right? But just keep in mind that these companies that say they're free to you, uh, they're making considerable amount of money off of your guess that, and that's kind of a,
2: I don't know. Probably more than you would pay for w- premium software. What a racket. Like. It's a racket. Hey,
1: can can you give me a list of people that I can sell to? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. All right. Well, let's wrap this one up. This has been a great little grab bag episode. I don't know Thank what you we're going to bring. Your list. I know my list, <laughs> and I don't know what we're going to title this one. It might be why bags don't fly free. We'll figure right. it out.
2: <laughs> the donor boarding model. That's right. <laughs> I like your lunch is not free. Yeah. Yeah. No such thing as a free lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good
1: one. All righty. Well, again, if you guys enjoy this podcast, please share it with somebody else. Leave us a five star review. Yes, please. If you're not going to leave us a five star review, just don't don't review us, or send us in some feedback and tell us specifically what you'd like for us to do better, or any other questions that you might have about running your fundraising event. We'd love to chat with you. Until next time, happy fundraising.